Thank you, and once again, greetings to students and teachers of the Word of God. We're happy to have this opportunity to bring you the Word of God once again in a verse-by-verse comparison and a verse-by-verse study of the great doctrines of the Word of God, our doctrine for this week being the study of pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the previous broadcast, in studying the Holy Spirit, we talked about the personality of the Holy Spirit, and we shall continue along this line throughout this broadcast. In our previous broadcast, we talked about the importance of the doctrine. We talked about the Bible use of personal pronouns in referring to the person of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the correct reading of the King James Bible in referring to the, referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in a neuter sense in Romans chapter 8, 26 and Romans 8, 16, and pointed out to you that it is proper to speak of the Holy Spirit in the masculine pronoun when referring to his person, but perfectly proper to refer to the Holy Spirit as an influence in regards to his work. His work is neuter, and the word for spirit itself is a neuter word. However, the person of the Holy Spirit is a person like the third person of the Godhead. Now, the hypocritical people who find fault with the King James Bible for the translation of the word as it in Romans 8.16 and Romans 8.26 comes from the blind, blundering stupidity of the faculty members of Christian schools. In the fundamental schools of America, the main outstanding Christian colleges and universities, we have these egotistical professors who think they're smart enough to sit in judgment in the Word of God. And these blind leaders of the blind, all of them fundamentalists who believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of the unknown originals, have failed to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is referred to as a holy thing in Luke chapter 1, and he is also referred to as it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Therefore, the blind, stupid bungling of the stupid translators, the new translations, take any 45 at random with all their faculty members behind them, and the teachers and the men who wrote the uh, grammars and the lexicons for the teachers, are not to be taken seriously by any student of the Word of God. It is perfectly proper for the King James Bible to refer to the Holy Spirit as itself in Romans 8.16 and Romans 8.26 in reference to the work of the Holy Spirit making intercession for the believer and bearing witness to the believer in the sense of the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. This is not a reference to the person of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit, but the spirit of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to our spirit. This, of course, is a neuter word in the Greek and English and is correctly translated in the King James Bible and quite incorrectly translated in the new ASV and the International Version and other versions put out by apostate fundamentalists who have departed from the faith while still professing to believe in it. If the Lord Jesus Christ can be referred to as a holy thing in Luke chapter 1 and referred to as it in Genesis 3.15 in reference to the word seed, which is a neuter word, then certainly the translation is correct here in the King James and the faculty members of Christian school who disagree, of course, simply don't know what they're talking about. You could ignore them without losing any truth from the Word of God. Now, we've been talking here about the Holy Spirit as a person. In that the Holy Spirit has a willpower, 1 Corinthians 12:11. The Holy Spirit has intelligence, Nehemiah 9:20. The Holy Spirit has knowledge, 1 Corinthians 2:10. He has power, Acts 1:8. He has a capacity for love, Romans 15:30. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. He can be lied to, uh, Acts chapter 5. And then as an influence, a neuter influence, he can be quenched. And when Paul says, quench not the spirit, 
He's certainly not talking about quenching the third person of the Trinity as a person. He's plainly talking about quenching the influence of the third person, the work of the Spirit. Again, a case where the neuter is the correct translation and the masculine is not. The fundamentalists get in such a hurry to emphasize what they know is so. They're willing to pervert the Word of God to prove what they know is so, and this, of course, proves they're lying. When we say this, of course, we mean any fundamental Greek or Hebrew scholar anywhere. It is a terrible habit and a tragic habit, but nevertheless a universal and perennial habit, of a man when he finds a truth in the Scripture to overemphasize that truth to draw attention to himself. And this is the standard method of procedure by faculty members of Christian schools who are paid to destroy the young man's faith in the King James Bible as the final authority. Uh, these Bible-rejecting fundamental apostates that believe in the fundamentals of the faith while rejecting the authority of the Word of God find a truth in the Word of God and then pervert the rest of the Word of God to match the truth they found instead of seeking for more truth. Pastor, May Pastor Robinson, who headed up the group that came over in the Mayflower, said something very significant back in 1620. He said, Calvin and Luther were precious shining lights in their day, but I am sure that God has much more truth to reveal to us from his holy word. What a ghastly tragedy it would have been for the body of Christ if the body of Christ had stopped with what truth had been revealed to Calvin and Martin Luther in the 17th century. What could have been more ghastly than that? And so the modern fundamentalist stops with the works of Clarence Walker and Schofield, which were complete in 1909 and 1917, and tries to make the rest of the Bible line up with those truths. By doing this, he perverts the Word of God and hides the truth and prevents further truth from being shown. And this, of course, is the practice of faculty members at 99.99% of the Christian colleges and universities in America, and the fact they believe in the fundamentals of the virgin birth and the deity of Christ has no more effect upon their rejection of the Word of God than if they were unsaved liberals. The fact that they're fundamentalists, of course, is immaterial. The devil is a fundamentalist. I mean, you order the Word of God to suit your fancy and order the Word of God to prove something. Whether you order it to prove something that is so or order it to prove something that is not so, the fact that you've ordered it shows that you yourself are somewhat of a spiritual egomaniac who thinks that 30 years education, or 20 or 15, equips you to sit in judgment on the Word of God. I've only had 10 years of college education. I've only had six years of postgraduate work. But I wouldn't consider 10 years of college and postgrad work uh, an equivalent amount of knowledge to equip me to change the Word of God and all it. I would consider the King James Bible far more authoritative than the PhDs who taught me or the PhDs who taught them. Therefore, simply because you found the Holy Spirit as a person, this doesn't give you your right to go to the Bible and stomp your bloody feet all over it to smear it and turn it around so that it will teach the Holy Spirit as a person every time. The passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 has no reference to the Holy Spirit as a person at all. You don't quench a person. You quench the influence of a person or the work of a person. When Paul says quench not the Spirit, he's talking about not... Uh, quenching or subduing or drowning out or muffling or blotting out the work of the Holy Spirit in the congregation. So it's perfectly right for the Word of God to use the Word itself in Romans 8.16 and Romans 8.26 
and the fundamental professors of Christian school who set up themselves as authorities, authorities over the Word of God are not to be countenance of these matters, nor is any conscientious student to take them seriously for half of a minute. They simply don't know what they're talking about. Now the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit can speak. He can cry out. The Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints. He testifies. He teaches. He leads and directs. He commands. And he calls men to work and gives tasks. If that isn't uh, weren't enough, the Holy Spirit was active in creation. We read in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. If that weren't enough, the Holy Spirit seals the believer to the day of redemption. If that weren't enough, we read where the Holy Spirit regenerates. A man is born of the Spirit. The Spirit gives a new birth. That which is born of the Spirit of Spirit. If that weren't enough, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. We'll talk about that in today's broadcast. And if that weren't enough, the Holy Spirit of God was the one who inspired the Scriptures, and is the Holy Spirit of God who preserved the Scriptures in spite of the work of apostate fundamentalists and depraved conservatives who stood in judgment against it while professing to believe it. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is a very important person in the Word of God, and of no less importance than God the Son and God the Father. The Holy Spirit has been assigned a definite office. He is the official comforter, a paraclete, one who is called alongside to help. He is a personal companion. And in John 14, verse 16, Jesus said, He shall give you another comforter. As a person, the Holy Spirit becomes our best friend to guide us and comfort us. Uh, for an excellent work in these matters, you might read the work by R.A. Torrey called The Holy Spirit. Some of the best work is done by Watchman Nee, an excellent book called Sit, Walk, and Stand. And, of course, the classic work on the crucified life by Maxwell called Born Crucified. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He is somebody called alongside to help, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will not leave you comfortless. The Lord Jesus Christ had no intention of leaving the apostles and leaving the apostles of disciples as fatherless children, as orphans. The Bible says, When my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. In the book of Isaiah we read, As one of his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit then is a comforter, drawn alongside to help the Christian. The number of things he can do for you are almost innumerable. For example, the Holy Spirit is a cure for an abnormal fear of darkness. If you're afraid of dark, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is light. Christ is the light of life. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. God is light, and Christ said, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Holy Spirit is the uh, searchlight of the Lord put inside the old man to illuminate the inward parts of the body and bring light to darkness. And the God who said, Let there be light, brought light upon this, the chaos of the cosmos, the universe, by the Holy Spirit. You read in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. If you have an abnormal fear of the dark, the Holy Spirit is your comforter to bless you and take care of you. If you are afraid of being alone, the Bible said the Lord has said, He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, so we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. The Holy Spirit is a cure for insomnia. Try communing with the Holy Spirit and you'll fall asleep. 
The Bible speaks in 2 Corinthians 13, 14 about the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, the Bible said it is vain for you to sit up late and to rise up early, for he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, we're not saying there aren't certain conditions where pills and doctors are necessary. Certainly they are. Certainly there are, and certainly for the person who is sick and under medical care and medication, some of these things are appropriate and necessary. But there is no excuse for an average man in his right mind, a born-again, a saved child of God, to have trouble with these things. For you have the Holy Spirit in you to take the place of pills. Or like Lester Roloff says, the only pill this country needs is the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the cure for all loneliness. Develop the friendship with the Holy Spirit. Know that he's in you and that you're in him. And he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. The Holy Spirit is the cure for a broken heart. You shall let the Holy Spirit occupy the aching void of the heart. And when the Holy Ghost and a man fills him with the Spirit of God and makes Jesus Christ real to him, the things that are taken away and the things that are gone can be... Uh, satisfactorily replaced by the presence of God himself. As a matter of fact, that is the only way some people are able to endure the years and years of suffering and privation that they endure. The only way the martyrs could endure the fire and the rack and the pulley and the pinchers and the sword and the starvation was through the indwelling power of the Holy Ghost indwelling their bodies. This modern Holy Ghost movement, of course, is an unholy ghost movement. It has nothing to do with the Holy Ghost at all. These little sissified pantywaists that come to a church and can't hear a Bible sermon on eternal security and get mad when you point out their sin and their devilment and get up and leave, they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. They're filled with an unclean spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills a man, the man manifests the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, meekness, and long-suffering. You can't enrage or infuriate a man filled with the Holy Ghost unless you attack the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. You cannot infuriate and enrage a man filled with the Holy Ghost by attacking him or his doctrine. And when you find these pussyfooting, sissy, pansy-faced, sea-tipping, uh, little old charismatics, they get upset and get all shot to pieces every time you call to their attention the fact that they uh, don't have the qualification for what they claim to have, and they get up and get mad and leave, you're not dealing with spirit-filled people. You're dealing with demon-possessed children. The Holy Spirit, when he comes a man, can not only enable him to take abuse and persecution, but bereavement and sorrow and pain. The Holy Spirit in the body of the believer is what enables many a Christian to spend days and lonely nights in hospitals, to endure the most excruciating tortures in concentration camps and Russian and Chinese communist prisons. It is the Holy Spirit that enables Richard Wormbrand to come out alive after three years in solitary and retain his mind and his senses and his good humor. It was the Holy Ghost in Holland Popoff that enabled him to endure 13 years of imprisonment and come out as a bold witness for Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled the martyrs Bernard Smithfield during the reign of Bloody Mary to give a successful testimony of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Ghost in the body of the believer that enables him to endure a broken heart and bereavement. If you have a broken heart, the best cure for a broken heart is meditation upon the indwelling Spirit of God who represents the one whose heart was broken for sinners, who wept over Jerusalem, and of whom it is said in the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And if the pain is more than you can stand, the bereavement is more than you can stand, just give up. And take your poor body and lay it alongside his, and take your poor bleeding heart and soul, 
and lay alongside the crucified Savior and say, Dear Lord, I can't stand this. This is more than I can bear. It's too much for me. I'm too weak. I can't stand it. I can't take it. Bear my pain for me. I can't bear it. Bear my sins for me. My wounds are foolish, and they stink and corrupt, and my sins are going over my head as a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me to bear. Lord, I can't stand the loneliness. I can't stand the pain. I can't stand the sorrow. You're a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You bear it. You take it. I can't carry it. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And take my yoke and learn of me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and you shall find rest unto your souls. The work of the Holy Spirit is to comfort the heart of the bereaved Christian, to heal the brokenhearted, and raise up the humble and contrite spirit, and take that soul and bring it to communion with him who inhabits eternity and sits in the high and holy place. The Holy Spirit in the believer encourages the believer for power and gives him a cure for helplessness. Helplessness. He says, Be strong, of a good courage. Have I not commanded thee? The Holy Spirit is an incentive in teaching and preaching. The Holy Spirit is with me to guide me in my teaching. The Holy Spirit is with me to guide me in my preaching. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. He's my authority in personal work. The Holy Spirit is directing me to witness and giving me power to witness. And there is no excuse for a Christian not witnessing for Jesus Christ. These people that hallelujah and glory to God and whoop de do in church and clap their hands and blibber, blabber, blubber, no matter get out in the world, the only person they can witness to is a new convert, are Satan controlled and Satan possessed. Save the lost. That's not the work of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost gives you power to witness to unsaved people. The Holy Spirit gives you power to tell them they're going to hell without Christ. The Holy Spirit gives you power to take the Word of God and lay it on them and bring them under conviction if they get mad at you. The Holy Spirit gives you the power and authority to deal with unsaved people about their sins and their lack of salvation and their security in Jesus Christ. When you find these modern, sissified, panty-waist, hubber-blubber, hobbly-gobbly, blubber-blubber, blabber-flabble-mouth Christians going down this country trying to talk new Christians out of eternal security, you're dealing with spoiled little brats who would know the Holy Ghost if they met him in broad daylight. The Holy Spirit has a definite work. He's the comforter. The Holy Spirit has a person, as a person, has emotions. He can be grieved. We read in Isaiah 63:10, they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Paul cautioned the Christian, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed of the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be insulted. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, that a certain class of people have done despite under the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. In Acts 5, 3, we read, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. In Matthew 12, 31, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is spoken of, and this blasphemy is considered to be worse blasphemy than blasphemy against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Thus showing you the importance of the blessed third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead, God the Holy Spirit. The people who worry most about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost are the people who receive another spirit after they're saved and pretend that spirit is the Holy Ghost. Paul speaks about these Satan-led Christians that are deceived by false apostles in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you will read very carefully 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will find the person who has the miraculous apostolic signs is Satan. And his apostles profess to have the apostolic signs of Mark 16 because they're controlled by Satan. 
And these people receive another spirit and another Jesus. And the other spirit they receive is not the Holy Ghost of the Word of God, and not the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, but another spirit that makes them sin against God and makes them think they've lost their salvation. And this is why these people are always worried about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. They're always afraid they've committed it, so they always accuse others of committing it, because they themselves have done despite to the Spirit of grace after they were saved by rejecting the main work of the Holy Spirit. After all, the main work of the Holy Spirit was to preserve the Christian to the advent and conform him to Jesus Christ. The main work of the Holy Spirit was to keep the Christian and grant the Christian eternal security. And the Lord said about the Holy Spirit, he said, when he's going to come, he's going to dwell with you forever. So as soon as a man tries to make a liar out of God, and that fast is in John chapter 14, verse 16, abide with you forever. As soon as a man tries to make a liar out of God, begins to doubt his salvation and doubt the word of God, and begins to count his works to save him, or a combination of faith and works, right away that man quenches the Holy Spirit in his own life and insults the indwelling uh, resident in his body, and after that, that man never knows whether he's saved or not. So the people who talk the most about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, are the ones who naturally know the very least about him. And the ones who are always worried about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, nine times out of ten, are the ones who have either committed it, if it could be committed, or the ones who have come on the bridge of committing it, and nearly committed it if it were possible. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a person because he possesses all the necessary qualifications of intellect, emotion, will, knowledge, and actions. It is proper to refer to the Holy Spirit as it when referring to his work or his influence. When we refer to his person, of course, we should always say him. We should make much of the companionship of the Holy Spirit. And our prayer should be, Lord, teach me more about the communion of the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Ghost be your companion, your partner, your comrade with whom you have intimate fellowship moment by moment. He is one of the most important persons in the Bible, uh, taking a third place only to God the Father and God the Son, and is co-equal with them, proceeding from them. In closing, let us look at the great passage in John chapter 14, and of course we'll talk about this more too when we talk about the deity of the Holy Spirit, and the names of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Holy Spirit and our next four lessons on pneumatology. But for now, in John chapter 14, notice these blessed words spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. John 14, verse 16. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Paul says the Holy Ghost seals the believer to the day of redemption. Even the Spirit of truth, Christ says, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, any man there that therefore that makes a difference between the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of God and the Spirit of truth, the Comforter and the Holy Ghost, is a professional liar. Christ equates them, equates them as the same. Christ said, The Spirit of truth, verse 17, is the Comforter, verse 16, whose name is the Holy Ghost. We learn by this that the various members of the Trinity have various names. For example, God the Father is called the Lord God, the Lord God Almighty, 
God Almighty, the Almighty. He's called the Everlasting Father. He's called the Father. He's called Jehovah. He's called Jah. The Lord Jesus Christ is called Jesus Christ. He's called Jesus. He's called Christ. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called Emmanuel. That's one of his names. God with us. His name is called Emmanuel. He's called the Son. He's called the Bread of Life. He's called the Water of Life, the Way, the Door, the Good Shepherd, the Way, the Truth, the Life. By the same token, the third person of the Trinity has his own names. He's called the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter. Never get them confused. All right, coming further, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ says in John chapter uh, 16, or rather 15, John 15:26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness. And finally, in the great passage in John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7, we read, If I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit has never been known to guide anybody into a translation of the Bible that omitted verses like every Bible has done, printed since 1800. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a teacher or a scholar trying to get you off track. Verse 13, For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now that's the most important thing about the Holy Ghost is that he doesn't talk about the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Spirit has come, John 16, verse 13, he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He'll testify of me. He'll show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Then the infallible mark of the person who not, knows nothing about the Holy Ghost is the person who keeps talking about the Holy Ghost. If you know about the Holy Ghost people and the Holy Ghost and getting the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost, you're dealing with people who don't know the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came to testify of Jesus Christ, to magnify of Jesus Christ, to glorify of Jesus Christ, to bear witness to Jesus Christ. And if you have no ability or power to witness to unsaved people about the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you have never met the Spirit in a barn. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to make you feel good. The Holy Spirit came to seal you and put you into Christ and to guide you and lead you in all truth so you could become an effectual witness for Jesus Christ and glorify Him. The outstanding of the Spirit-filled, outstanding example of the Spirit-filled life is the Apostle Paul, who used to say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, that so forth, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And people filled with the Holy Ghost don't say the term Jesus as many times as they say the Lord Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Ghost, to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We'll continue our lessons in pneumatology in our next broadcast. Until then, good day.